Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Monday. It's NFL Draft Week, and we're here today to answer some of your questions. Thank you to everyone who participated, went on to the old Twitter sphere, and responded with whatever was on your mind. I am hopeful that we will get to each and every one of those questions. And by we, I mean myself and none other than PFF Fantasy Connoisseur Legend Playmaker, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how's it going? Connoisseur today. I, I like it, Ian. I am, I am a connoisseur of PFF data, for sure. I'm also a connoisseur of NFL draft. So, yeah, man, like, this is kind of the, this is where, like, the official, like, start to the season. We love free agency and everything, but, like, the draft is, like, because once the draft's done, like, we get, we can really, like, wrap up projections, get all that kind of stuff done. So, man, I'm stoked. I'm super excited. Uh, can't wait to answer some questions. You know, got to listen to the people. I know you're a man of the people. Man of the people. <laughs> the funny thing about connoisseur, I'll use it in an article from time to time. And like that, I am so bad at spelling that word that I will like put it, I, I, you know, it gets underlined red. So I say, okay, what's the spelling? And it's like, we don't know, man. And I put it in Google and then Google's <laughs> even like, hey, yeah, like, what are you talking about? Like concise or something? So it's just, like, you've messed it up so badly. We don't even know. <laughs> What you're trying to say, Hardit. It's like that Billy Madison thing. We are all now dumber for having sat here and listened now. <laughs> yes, it is NFL draft week. We're not going to be talking about it that much. Dwayne, like, no football has been played in three months. How is it that mock drafts are changing this rapidly one day after another? Unless it's just a bunch of people paying way too much attention to one nameless, faceless report after another, man. I think that's the part that annoys me about the NFL draft. Like, I can get behind a big group of people, you know, going out there, making their own big boards, saying like this, you know, taking a stand on, this is how I grade these wide receivers. Like, let's see how this does versus the NFL. Shout out to Jetpack Galileo on this podcast. He's gone back and shown that his wide receiver foam grades have done better than what draft capital would suggest. That's cool as hell. What? Why spend the entire month, Dwayne, just digging through one report after another to maybe get one guy, you know, going one spot ahead of another? I don't know, man. Neither of us really do it. I don't want to piss off well, all the people that listen to us. Because there's a it. lot of people that are gambling on it. <laughs> now, there's a ton of people that are putting bets on, like, where these guys are going to go. Um, you know, I'm in a thread like that, and, and it's a ton of smart guys. Like, Anthony What are those Zico. limits? Are the limits even good, though? Or are they more like prop limits? They're more like prop limits, I think. But still, like, I mean... That thing just lights up all day long, that instant <laughs> message group. Um, I mean, it's a ton of really smart Fair minds point. in the industry, but I think that's a big part of it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, um, I don't think teams draft boards, you know, at, at least like if you've really got a process, like how much would your draft board be changing at the last second? Like, you know, that, that's probably a, that's probably an indicator of bad process unless unless you really, truly did get this all of a sudden new piece of information that you never knew before. Like maybe it's a red flag or something like that. But I think a lot of it at this point is just smoke screens, you know, maybe not at the first pick, you know, but, you know, in, in picks like this year's every draft's a little bit different. I'm sure there's some some truth to some of these, but hopefully teams are not like talking themselves out of a player. It should be down to two or three guys if you're sticking at your pick and you're like, okay, who are we taking out of this three? It shouldn't be all of a sudden, now we're going to move this guy up 10 spots. Like that just shouldn't really be the case. Like last year, the whole Mac Jones thing, it was like just watching oh, everyone. God, yeah. <laughs> February and March, like consensus. Everyone's like, Mac Jones is the QB5. And then we start hearing these reports about him going to San Fran. And all of a sudden, everyone and their mother is talking about, well, actually, when you look at Mac Jones and what he brings to the table, he should be the top three quarterback. And it's like, you never thought that. You saw an Adam Schefter report talking about that. I've now changed your entire uh, mindset. But whatever. 
not my uh, hey dynasty dynasty twitter does the same thing people get bored you know it's like hey everybody loves Traylon burks now everybody hates <laughs> Traylon burks i'm like cool now's a great time to be drafting Traylon burks i guess you know uh garrett will uh drake london everybody was off on him then everybody got over on to him you know it's just like garrett wilson kind of rose up late he was our number one like from the gut you know or he was at least mine i think he was in your top two or three but yeah it's uh i don't move these guys around as much the only thing i'm moving them for is expected draft position based on the mock drafts which to your point there can be some noise in those so i am happy like that this week we will actually get we won't have to just guess anymore we'll just get the lock it down we'll be like yep this is where the player was drafted and we can move forward we can finally Drew lock it in. I can't wait. And now all my friends hate me because I uh, always confirm plans by saying Drew lock it in. Story for another day. Let's get to these questions. Again, thank you to everyone that did respond to my tweet. We'll be trying to do this uh, each and every week. Usually we'll be out on Friday. Um, I, you know, just a freaking genius I am, forgot to actually hit enter on our Wednesday podcast last week, which explains why we pushed this to Monday. But all that nonsense aside, Dwayne, Let's get to some questions. First one from at 1912 Fantasy. Any draft prospects with off-field issues that could cause them to fall? I do not know this. So what did I do? I went to someone that does know this. And in my opinion, probably the single best draft analyst in the business with all due respect to our own PFFs, Mike Renner. But Dane Brugler at The Athletic and just what the work he puts into the beast every single year is absolutely insane. So what I did was I went to Dane's The Beast and I just control f off the field. And there was like 40 things, mostly good, but some guys went bad. These were the prospects that had bad off the field issues that caused Dane to bring it up and note that it could cause them to fall. Southeastern Louisiana quarterback Cole Kelly, Kentucky offensive tackle Dari Rosenthal, Arkansas D lineman Trey Williams, Oklahoma D lineman Perrion Winfrey, Louisiana D lineman Taylon Humphrey, Clemson cornerback Mario Goodrich, Arizona State cornerback Jack Jones, and Georgia cornerback Darion Kendrick. So doesn't immediately look like any skill position guys. I don't know if there's a Tyreek Hill necessarily type of guy in this class, but Dwayne, that was uh, actually. Again, I know none of these guys are super fancy relevant, but wanted to answer the question. But on a side note, one of the interesting things that I actually found during some of my uh, process this offseason was how condensed high-performing rookie wide receivers have been in the top two rounds. We've only seen three rookie wide receivers drafted outside of the top two rounds turn in even a top 24 season since 2012. Keenan Allen, round three. Amon Ross St. Brown, round four. And Tyreek Hill, round five. Obviously wouldn't have been going there if he didn't have off-the-field stuff. So the off-the-field concerns really do show. Again, not sure that any of our favorite prospects have them to begin with. But if you are going to be chasing an exception, someone going on a day three, having one of those off-the-field concerns, someone that should have been going far higher if we didn't have this issue, that's probably what you're trying to look for there. To hang your hat on an exception. Yeah, and I mean, people just remember the Tyreek Hills, Stefan Diggs, you know, guys like that that have been pushed down. I don't think there are any of those this season at the skill position, but I mean, I haven't researched it as much as you did. But I mean, if you went and checked with all of Dane's stuff, then I feel pretty good about the list that you have in front of us. So I don't, I don't know that, you know, and sometimes we don't know, though. Like you'll see a player unexpectedly fall. And then after the draft, you find out, oh, they fell because of red flag, you know, why, you know, so I mean, we may know more about, you know, this kind of question, like next week, we may have some more thoughts on it. 
from at Dalzell underscore Connor. Wondering about Baker Mayfield and this cool little open receiver stat I formulated. So Sunday, you know, yeah, I like to spend a lot of my time watching USFL, but I still put my fantasy football analyst hat on plenty during the week. One of the cool things I found, one of the new data sets we have at PFF is looking at how many open receivers have been available per play for these quarterbacks. So I went ahead, took the dropbacks and looked at where zero pass catches were considered open per dropback. Number one, meaning most dropback, highest dropback percentage with zero open wide receivers was Aaron Rodgers at 20.9%. Number two, Kylo Murray. Number three, Davis Mills. Number four, Russell Wilson. And number five, Jalen Hurts. This question specifically was about where Baker Mayfield lies. Seemingly, I think, you know, maybe a Browns fan, maybe a Baker defender of sorts. I'm sorry, no. Baker Mayfield finished 18 among 31 qualified quarterbacks, actually an above average rate of open receivers, uh, right alongside Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins. So, so we've talked a lot about separation open receivers throughout this offseason. This one's a little bit, uh, you know, different. We're not tracking every single receiver, you know, we're not tracking overall separation necessarily. But I do think it makes sense, when we're particularly looking at the top at, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray. Obviously, Kyler didn't have Hopkins for most of the year. Old man A.J. Green wasn't exactly making a habit of breaking free. And we couldn't get Rondale Moore on the field half the time. And for Rodgers, uh, one of the findings you had this offseason was that Devontae Adams, most double-covered receiver in the league. So it makes sense to me that if you could take away Devontae, I know I saw the one freaking play from the <laughs> NFC Divisional round that everyone loves to bring out about Aaron Rodgers. I understand Alan Lazar was open. But generally, Dwayne, this wasn't the exactly easiest you know, offense for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers to get going with last year yeah i think it's you hit it on the head like it's if you're really depending on aaron you know on um Devontae adams as much as they do and he has one of the highest target shares in the league it just makes sense like that these teams are going to scheme that up they're going to try to take these other plays players away that's what scares me about an alan lazard you know yeah we could be coming into more opportunity but as a guy that really has never popped in yards per route run has never popped in targets per route run and now all of a sudden it's like, now, now ADP is all that matters. As long as he goes like after all the young rookie upside guys, I'm fine if you want to throw a, you want to take a swing at Alan Lazar. Just don't, what happens a lot of times with these guys, Ian, is by the time we get to draft season, you know, in August and September for especially like redraft, we get past dynasty. What will happen is an Alan Lazar will start, they'll move up to the ninth, eighth round. Right. And, and that's where I start saying, OK, just tap the brakes right now. Lazard's like around 11, 12, 13. So if we get through the draft. Maybe they only add one other player. Lazard's still going to be on the field. You know, we can look at it. But I just be careful about expecting a really big jump, especially whenever you've had someone like Devontae Adams already taking away so much coverage. You know, even if the targets per route run like you want to dismiss those because you're like, well, I mean, they're throwing everything to Adams. The yards per route run like should have really popped a little bit more for what we were seeing with a guy like Lazard. Whenever you've got a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, they use a lot of play action, a lot of things that work well in the league that we see drive up yards per route run. And there was a dominant force on the other side of the field. So those are the big lessons I take away from whenever I look at a player, you know, that where the offense has been centered around them and then they leave and you want to really look at the other guys that are left and like what the actionable takeaways are for fantasy. You just have to dig into some of those things. And Hey, I'm Baker just real quick. I don't know. Um, let me, I'll share my screen real quick. Ian, for the, cause I, I got to give this thing like props, like um, people that uh, haven't seen the PFF QB annual. Like you guys have to go check this out. Like there are just great. some of that. I mean, there That's are some of the absolute does most of that work, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and let's see here. Oh, where do I go? 
I just dropped it. There we go. Oh my tell gosh! Me, tell me, tell me when you can see it. <laughs> We're good now. We had a, we had like a, a screen inception going on there for a picture. Uh, yeah, picture of a picture of a picture of a picture. <laughs> so here's Baker's accuracy charting. This stuff is so cool. And so what you get is you'll see like accurate, you know, fifty-seven point two percent. So that was zero point six percent below the NFL average. And then these this next range. So this accurate is like pinpoint, meaning you put it right on them exactly where it was supposed to be. Right on the but if but if you've got it high, front, low, back, that means it was accurate. It was in a, it was slight, it may have been slightly inaccurate, but the receiver could still catch it, right? The yeah. receiver may have to make a catchable little tougher catch, but it's a catchable ball. And so you see with and then you see the next range out, which is overthrow in front, underthrow behind, and those are uncatchable. And so over here to the right, you know, you got a nice little, you know, cheat code. So Baker is like, you know, if you look at his his accurate plus you know, he was actually fine. But if you look at his just as accurate, it was 20, which was right at the league average. Catchable, inaccurate passes, you know, he was second. Uncatchable pass rate was 29th, which was worse in the league. So there's a lot of cool stuff like this over here. Now, I haven't been able to chart all this, Ian, to say, like, how much of this stuff, like, year over year, how consistent does it stay? Mm-hmm. Um, but with Baker, like, if you go up, there's and people can kind of see like all this cool stuff that's here, but real quick, I want to just show this one thing up here at the top. So this is the, these are the key things for me with Baker that I really like to look at. Um, you know, so on the third down grade, 22 out of the 32 qualifiers, negative graded play, which means, um, you know, play, you know, PFF, everything is graded on a scale of minus two to plus two. Okay. So if you're on the right side of the scale and the plus, you, you get a, you know, a positive grade rate. If you're on the left side, you get a negative. So 26 out of 32, great under pressure, 25 out of 32. Clean pockets, the really big one that we can duplicate year over year, 22 out of 32. And that's just been a, that's been a problem, you know, for Baker. Um, on target passes, 30th out of 32. So a lot of the deal with Baker, um, you know, I know we were talking about the receivers and he didn't necessarily have great receivers last season. Um, but some of these things stem back to seasons before where we've seen pretty similar data for Baker that he's just not that accurate. And he even struggles whenever he's kept clean. couple questions on Rondale Moore and the Arizona Cardinals. We've talked about a lot, but you know what, Julian? I always find to hype up Rondale Moore, particularly uh, before the draft happens and, you know, Cliff Kingsbury has to ruin our hopes and dreams potentially. But from at Mike underscore, underscore, underscore B, along with at underscore Matt Lang underscore, basically what's our overall thought with Rondale Moore now that Christian Kirk is gone? And we're wondering, does AJ Green concern us in regards to Rondale's utilization? So, Dwayne, I think AJ Green coming back is our Arguably, like awesome for Rondale Moore because this is someone that we know he's going to play on the outside, but that's fine. He's a starting outside receiver. We knew Rondale was never going to get that. I mean, when Green got hurt last year, Antoine Wesley played ahead of Rondale Moore as an outside receiver. Like the fact AJ Green is back and we don't have to see them, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, draft someone and then start to wonder where's that guy going to work into everything. I'm feeling better about A.J. Green there than anyone that they might have drafted in the top three rounds of the draft. You could say, like, yeah, it would have been better if they just didn't add anyone, you know, entered every single game with three wide receivers. That's not realistic, though, obviously, in the NFL. So right now, Dwayne, I think we, we've the way we've talked about Rondale Moore, hard to rank him, you know, too highly into, like, the wide receiver three range, but he could be there once we get the, you know, 
certain certainness from the draft that he is going to be the starting slot. He's looking like the number two, number three option at worst in this offense behind only Hopkins and maybe Zach Ertz. All, you know, all wheels up for uh, Rondale Moore. And honestly, the Chase Edmonds, him leaving helps too because we did see uh, someone is to use Rondale Moore in the backfield. We'll see if someone likes James Cook ends up coming to Arizona. But Dwayne, I think the big takeaway that you've, uh, you know, done a great job, you know, telling people throughout, it's been great to get Rondale Moore uh, just... Uh, roster exposure. That's the word I was looking for. Been great to get Rondell more exposure because right now he's only going to go up in ADP as we get closer to the season because it's going to be good news. Whereas someone like Gabriel Davis, we're, we're assuming a lot more highly with him already. Right. Yeah. Gabe Davis most likely is capped already. Like he's not going to go up in ADP no matter what, but if the bills do draft, you know, another receiver, you're going to get a discount. So if you like Gabe Davis, just because they draft receiver doesn't mean that you then don't have to draft him. It just means you can get him at a cheaper price. Right. Cause I mean, the biggest the biggest part of receiver uh, production is talent, right? Whereas running back, we know just get on the damn field, right? We know that you can score points. Obviously, talent comes into play there. But with receivers, we, uh, you know, we're, we're much bigger, you know, subscribers to the idea that, you know, you really have to be good to be able to get these targets. So with Rondell Moore, look, I'm with you. A.J. Green doesn't bother me at all. They were going to have to, they were going to either sign someone else to your point or draft someone else to play outside. You know, that's not where Rondell Moore plays. So right now, you know, knowing that A.J. Green last season, you know, looking at his targets uh, per route run, setting right around 17 percent, yards per route run, 1.6. Rondell Moore is actually higher in yards per route run slightly, 1.64, and his targets per route run were actually higher at 0.24. So with Rondell Moore, we just need him on the field more. That's all. So the disaster for Rondell Moore would be if so, for some reason, you know, the Cardinals drafted a slot receiver. It's like that, that would be the killer, right? Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think we're going to get to see Rondell Moore play Christian Kirk's role. I think he will also get to work more vertical down the field because Christian Kirk was a big part of that game. We know Rondell Moore has another gear. Cliff Kingsbury is already on the record saying, look, we're not going to tether him to the damn line of scrimmage. You know, yeah. we're not just going to keep him there. We're going to move him around. And remember the year before that was the argument everybody used against Debo Samuel. Oh no, you don't want Debo. <laughs> ADOT's too low. ADOT's too low. Debo came out and gave everyone the double bird, double birds <laughs> to everyone all around. Debo just crushed it. So not, and we're not saying that Ron no more is Debo Samuel, but look, he's a talented guy, second year guy, a huge yak player. So even if it's ADOT Ian, like just from, from like a one to an eight, but we got him to run 70% of the routes and stuff. That, that was the only thing holding Rondell Moore back last, yeah. last year. It wasn't even just the stuff around the line of scrimmage. He was only out there for 40% of the routes for the Cardinals. I think this year you're easily going to see him right around 70% where Christian Kirk was last year. And I think the fantasy points can follow, and there's plenty of upside, especially if Hopkins takes a, takes a little step back. Um, and then we know A.J. Green is older. Zach Ertz is older. I think, I think you could – Tell yourself if you wanted to be, sometimes I know you get in these super optimistic moods. I don't know if you're on the <laughs> today or not, Ian. We're about to find out. But like you could tell a story where Ron Moore could become the number one target on the card. I, I, I think he's probably the number two or three. You know, I think he's safe to slot him in two or three. But I mean, Hopkins is getting older. Ertz is getting older. AJ Green is older. Like, I mean, he could be the most explosive player on the team. And if they decide to figure out ways to really get him the ball, like he could explode. 
I mean, look, before Hopkins got hurt, he wasn't putting up the wide receiver one numbers we were used to because, I mean, I remember doing this in my wide receiver tight end breakdowns every week. The top five targets on the Cardinals were all within like five or six targets of each other. So Rondale could be the 1A with a 1B or 1C there. Hopefully he's at least in that top trio. But you said it, Dwayne. These guys are old. And that was, uh, you know, yesterday, you know, just awesome, just really exciting life I live. I decided to go through every single running back, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and tight end, take the average age to get an idea of who is who has the youngest skill position group, who has the oldest, top five youngest skill position groups, the Ravens, the Lions, the Broncos, the Browns, and the Steelers, top five oldest, the oldest is, in fact, the Arizona Cardinals, then the Green Bay Packers, Buccaneers, Titans, and Chargers. So, yeah, not exactly getting younger. I'm not, you know, this isn't exactly necessarily correlated with uh, us needing to fade them or anything, but between Nuke, Ertz, AJ Green now, it's like, my God, guys, let's get the young and some run. And it sounds like they're going to. So from at underscore Matt Lang underscore again, Dwayne, Leonard Fournette or Antonio Gibson for the next two years in Dynasty? I kind of lean Fournette after Leonard this contract, Fournette. man. Yeah. Leonard Fournette. Uh, look, I'll tell you, on these two players, you really shouldn't look past this year. Antonio Gibson only has a thir- only has third round draft capital tied up. You know, uh, we've already seen them re-sign uh, J.D. McKissick. So McKissick, I believe, Ian, if you can pull it up, I believe he signed a two year deal. So the way I'm looking at it, you know, is Antonio Gibson's going into year three. It could be year five before he is, even if it deal. were to happen, right? To be how many is it? Two years. Two years. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's a situation where we got to wait wait now at least another two years before Gibson gets the passing down role that we all really want and we think that he could could handle. Um, but now, like, he's not even going to get that for two years. So it's like he'll be a year six running back as a third round pick. Who knows if Washington will even resign him? Who knows if anyone else will sign him? I'd rather just take Leonard Fournette, who we know has top six RB uh, potential this year without any without any help. Antonio Gibson would become that if J.D. McKissick got hurt in training camp. So there's a path still for Antonio Gibson. And if that happened, then you could say, okay, well, great. Then if he blows up, maybe Washington turns around and gives him a better deal, you know, right away. Because he probably, this, I don't know if this is his last, well, he'll probably, he probably has a year four on his deal, yeah. but he won't have a year five on his deal because he wasn't an early pick. So that's the path where Gibson could still outshine. But for me, like whenever I'm looking at so many variables like that, I just, my decision is, you know what, I'm just going to take what I think is going to be the best commodity this year because both of them have questions. Fournette's question will be, after this year, we're probably going to look up and he's going to be really close to a lot of the thresholds that we don't like, you know, as far as some of these older running backs. I think the conversation around Fournette is like still scarred from his time in Jacksonville. He was generational, and I think that word, I hate when people overuse it, but I think for him, generational recruit coming out of high school at running back, Absolutely unbelievable at LSU when he was healthy and out there. Comes in, unfortunately, stuck with some Jaguars teams. Whatever, still manages to go to the AFC Championship and scores plenty of touchdowns along the way. Has a bad falling out. What's he done in Tampa Bay? Usually balled the hell out with whatever opportunities he was getting. I was watching some uh, highlights from that Super Bowl run, man. Lombardi Lenny was a game changer out there. So what did the Buccaneers do? They paid him $21 million over three years. Like, here are the running backs on non-rookie deals that are being paid more than Fournette currently. Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Zico Elliott, and Christian McCaffrey. Fine. Rank Fournette last out of that group. That's still pretty damn good. And the biggest thing, Dwayne, we don't have a J.D. McKissick to take those targets. We just have Fournette to go get those targets. And you haven't even talked about the offense. 
I mean, yeah. the Bucks so, offense small, versus, small other versus Washington's <laughs> offense. Like, um, yeah, I think there's enough questions and where we'll be with Fournette next year, but versus even Gibson, like I just I would just lean into the guy that I think can give me the most this year. Interesting question here from at Jay Stengren. At what point does having too much startable death in Dynasty begin to hurt you? Is it better to trade the death away for future picks, condense into higher end assets, or simply hold for the sake of roster death? Thanks, guys. So, Dwayne, I think, it, you know, like anything, it's going to depend on your league, depend on exactly, you know, what that def looks like. But I will say, you know, sometimes I've been in dynasty leagues or just regular formats where you only got to start, you know, nine or ten guys in the super flex. And all of a sudden you are leaving some awfully good players on the bench. Other leagues, you know, you do actually have to start 13, even 14 guys. And it, I think, does make more sense to try to keep as many bodies involved. Do you have any overarching thoughts on this? Again, I think it's more of a case-by-case basis. I would say in general, I think the dynasty community gets a look gets their they get a collective hard on that's maybe a little bit too much about like always planning for the future and shit where it's like why not be in win now mode why are we really looking further than three years down the road to begin with how well can we accurately predict things more than a year or two away so I think in general if you think you have a window to go win now go ahead and make that move Dwayne because like what fuck playing for 2024 let's go win this shit in 2022 yeah, I mean, ultimately in Dynasty, the you're trying to balance those two things, right? How do I keep myself, you know, equipped to be really good in the future, but also really competitive right now? And unfortunately, a lot of that starts right when you start the Dynasty League. Um, you know, once that's happened, and then you're moving forward, of course, yeah, we can make change, we can we can chart a new course, and we can change. Um, but the key for me is, and you said it, it depends. Um, but it's really hard to find many teams that are truly deep across every position. So typically what I'm trying to do is trade depth from one position for a player at a position where I don't have the depth, right? Or I may not even have like in some leagues, you know, I may not even have a tight end I love. And so I'm more willing to trade away even younger wide receiver depth to get a tight end that I think can actually help me win this year. So I think it's really just about, you know, what does your roster look like? What you mentioned, how deep, you know, is the player pool? The other thing I'll say you know, is it also just depends on the value of the player. You know, we talk about these cycles in the offseason of player value up, player value down. Well, in Dynasty, we see even big, we see even bigger swings. So I think anytime you think you've got a player that's sitting on your bench and you think they may be at approaching like an all time an all time high in value, or even if they're not on your bench, like that's when I try to sell is when the player is at what we think that all that all time high value. Um, and as long as it's not like a super young stud, like right now, Justin Jefferson, he may be at his highest value ever, but I don't care. I don't want to trade Justin Jefferson. I'm yeah. definitely, I'm not one of these sickos. It's like, you just have to sell as soon as the value is out of max. So don't take it that way. It's more like you have a player that gets a rebound, you know, in their value, like a Leonard Fournette would be a great example. You know, if, if you've got Leonard Fournette, you know, as your RB four, for some reason, sitting on your team and you only need to start two, like Fournette's, probably as valuable as he's going to be, but you have to find the right trade partner. You want to find another team that's also probably in win now mode. Um, Of course, then you have to wonder like, you know, what is that going to do to your chances to win the league this year? So, I mean, it is, it's very nuanced, but at the end of the day, if I've got an asset that I think, you know, is probably being overvalued by the community, especially where they are in age and touches and that Fournette one's a great example. Like, and I've got the depth to move on. I will. Hell, I'll trade Leonard Fournette, even if he's my RB2 on a winning team. If I've got a ton of like, if I've got four or five other guys sitting behind him that I know I can just basically rotate to get to my RB2, which you should have on any dynasty roster. Like you should pretty much have five, six guys just sitting there that you're just basically waiting for the injury. And then you're plugging them into your lineup, plugging them into your lineup, plugging them into your lineup. So 
it does also depend on the position. I would say like Fournette and kind of that yeah, that second contract running back that's starting to get about 27, 28. If you're able to sell them somewhere close to the top of their value, probably a good time to. Yeah, like this year, Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Aaron Leonard Jones, Fournette, you, Aaron Jones. Um, and you can worry about a little less when they're really good receiving profiles. They can typically make it yeah, a, little bit more, a little longer. But but no, I would still include, you know, Aaron Jones. I think you still have to include them. I would just kind of sub-tier them, right? Here's these true kind of early down guys. All their value comes from that. And then these guys we know that stay involved in the passing game. Just trying to think like of some of the other names right now. Um, Joe Mixon. I would sell Joe Mixon now. You're, you're probably going to get another good year out of Joe Mixon. But if you can get the right deal on a player like Joe Mixon, I think the advice you just gave is that's really good. McCaffrey, you know, is right in that range as well. But again, like it comes back to what's your goal? You trying to win this year? What does your roster look like? And can you get the value? The other thing is, man, I will not trade away. I don't care if their name is Leonard Fournette and it's a player that's at their highest value. If someone's not going to offer the right thing in return, then I'll just play him. You know, I'll just keep him. And plus, you know how it goes. Other teams suffer injuries throughout the year, throughout the year, and all of a sudden, then you can trade Fournette for even more to somebody that's hungry later in the season. From at Danny Polk. Why don't either of us think Drake London is good? I think this is tongue-in-cheek. I'm not positive, Dwayne. But just in case, you have Drake London as your overall wide receiver four. I have him as my wide receiver three. I would bump him down to four. It seems like we're getting... I don't know why Jameson Williams will be moving up the way he is unless teams have gotten some good news on his medicals. So if we knew for a fact that Jameson Williams is good to go for week one, I would rank him redraft ahead of Drake London. But... Wide receiver four. I mean, yeah, I, I don't see him as the overall wide receiver one, but you know, it doesn't mean uh, we don't think he's good. So Dwayne, we will be uh, talking tomorrow about our top five quarterback, running back, wide receivers, and even a few tight ends. So I think we'll save that Drake London discussion yeah. for then. Uh, but yeah, we think Drake London's good. Just maybe not best wide receiver in a pretty loaded class. From For Drake as, London, it's a good yeah. day to be good. He didn't there get the go. great day to be great. It's a good day to be good. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, not bad. We're not saying it's a bad day to be bad. From at Zach H. Armstrong, do we have a bias towards any certain type of player in Dynasty? He loves a good route runner like Judy or Deontay. I will say in my, like, not Dynasty, but real life, man, I love me a contested catch artist. You know, the Des Bryants, Auden Tates of the world. I just feel like sometimes they get uh, ridiculed. And at the end of the day, man, it's called a moss for a reason. Like, mossing someone looks freaking cool. Like, there's a reason why we don't say, like, you just rice someone by, like, you know, just running past them or some shit. So, I do think uh, style points matter. And, hell, Dwayne, you know, I watch every freaking game, every single week, every single year. So, yes, I do care about how someone styles. Uh, it gets me up in the morning sometimes. But in terms of actual dynasty, I would say, I don't know about a certain type of player. I do generally just think, and more of an overarching goal is, you know, definitely we know the wide receiver lifespan is longer in fantasy football. And because of that, in a startup, I'm going to be attacking wide receiver over running back majority of really rounds. But in terms of a specific, you know, type of player, I wouldn't really say I have a big bias. What about you, Dwayne? No, I don't, I don't have one. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always hopefully like, good football players are biased towards guys that are good, you know? Yeah. I mean, in dynasty, I have a bias obviously towards trying to be as young, you know, as I can and still be competitive. But I mean, that's really, I don't have anything more like what Zach's talking about. Like, Oh, are they a good route runner or not? Now I love watching a good route runner. Yeah. I, I like, a, I like my favorite is just a player that gets targeted all the damn time. There we go. <laughs> Whether he runs a good route or not. 
from at nbray97. Do we have a third round running back at the turn that we're looking to snatch up at the moment? This would be about pick range 25 to 28. Again, don't have great ADP data at the moment. Looking forward to summer months where we get that. Based off some of the underdog stuff and just kind of the drafts Dwayne and I have done, I would say this could be guys like Saquon, maybe Elijah Mitchell if Debo ends up getting traded. We would prefer if Leonard Fournette falls that far, but I think that's unrealistic the closer we get to week one. Maybe even Brees Hall. So I would say, Dwayne, someone in that Saquon, Elijah Mitchell, Brees Hall group could be interesting. Only if, though, we already got two wide receivers in those top two rounds. So I don't think there's necessary. You know, I would say, if anything, the drafts that we've done together, the big takeaway I've had is in the first, you know, two, three rounds, I would like to come away with two wide receivers if the board's falling my way. Yeah, me too. I do think this is about where Fournette will settle in. Like, I think end of the second, early third, he could surprise us and move a little more. Um, but I think there's a chance he's he stays somewhere between the middle of the second to the middle of the third, depending on, you know, who you're drafting with. So I think there's a good shot that you'll be able to see a guy like Fournette sitting there at the turn. Um, Brees Hall in Buffalo, if that happens? If Brees Hall went to Buffalo, yeah, he would he would be right there in that range, and we would be comfortable, you know, with that. Um, I'm trying to think, like, who else? I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty much it. Like, it, you are going to see your Saquons um, this year. Swift's going a little bit earlier. Like Antonio Gibson's going in that range. I don't really want to touch him there. Did you hear the um, news about Saquon? He's like really pumped for this year. He's uh, oh yeah, he's been going he's crazy. Excited. He's, he's excited, excited man. yeah. Yeah, he's like everyone else. Like he's, you know, he's been going crazy with co- with all the COVID stuff for two years. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I thought you actually had like some news I had missed, and I was of course like, oh, not. Yeah, no, it's this, is, this is April NFL news, baby. What about yeah. we we talked a little about Elijah Mitchell? If Debo does get traded and they make it through the whole draft and they don't grab another running back, Mitchell is going to be in that RB one conversation. I don't know that he'd be someone I'd be like looking to actively get though. He might be ranked around this area, but like Fournette would be someone that I'm drafting every time at this spot. Not sure we could say the same about Elijah Mitchell. That That is where Elijah Mitchell will move to. If they trade Debo Samuel and they do not draft a running back because people will immediately assume that he's going to be more involved in the passing game, you know, the lead back in a, in a highly explosive rushing offense. So I think there, there would definitely be reasons to buy in. Um, the reason to be scared would just be, you know, two words, Kyle Shanahan. Like we have no freaking clue, like what the guy is going to do. And you're also not going to get any heads up from any beat reporter whatsoever. Gotta love that. Before we keep on going, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our sponsors, specifically the motherland themselves. PFF, right now you can get 50% off a of PFF Elite annual subscription. If you use code DRAFT50, 365 days of Elite, you can get all of the locked article content, PFF's NFL Draft Guide, and a completely unlocked mock draft simulator. Again, that's promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off a of PFF Elite subscription. And Get this, everyone. We are going to have a PFF Draft Show live for all three days of the NFL Draft along with the Sunday Recap and the special edition for this code, Draft50. If there is a running back drafted in the first round, you will get a free subscription for an entire year. Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, I don't freaking know. Maybe even Isaiah Spiller goes in the top 32 picks. You will will get your uh, subscription extended for a year. So go get 50% off. Maybe a running back gets drafted, and then you're good for a year, everyone. So if you're planning on doing this in the fall, for fantasy, for gambling, whatever, just do it now and you have a chance to literally pay, you know, 50% off the one year and 
and you get another year free, you are not going to find a better deal. But we'll have other deals for you throughout the year. Code Fantasy, maybe get you 25% off, something like this. Nothing better than what we have right now, though. Again, promo code DRAFT50. 50% off a of PFF Elite annual subscription, and fingers crossed that running back goes in the top 32 picks. Dwayne, when I was on the uh, real you know, PFF draft show last year, it was funny when Najee went to uh, the Steelers, I got picked 24, and everyone on the desk is like, oh, this is so stupid, and it's had nothing good to say. The fantasy just, person's like jumping up and down. I was like, let's go. We're about to get 300 touches. He was like, offensive player of the year, maybe, and you know, they were making fun of that, but like, Bro, like we saw, remember Todd Gurley, like in Jeff Fisher's horrific Rams offense, like still making plays. A first round running back is a fantasy darling. And, you know, fingers crossed the Bills decide at the end to make Brees Hall that next guy. So again, code draft 50 and fingers crossed a running back goes early. Also, quick shout out to our friends over at Manscaped. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. 4.3 is just insane. Like, that's like the top 1%, of the top 1%. Say like a 4.849. I mean, that's, that's mad. I mean, I think people on Twitter, man, just egregiously overestimate their 40-yard dashes. Like, people overestimate their 40-yard dash and, like, what animals they're capable of killing in, like, hand-to-hand combat. I appreciate the mindset. You know, Arian Foster and the wolf debacle, he was saying, like, you just got to have that mindset going into battle. But a 4-3, come on, Manscaped. But whatever, they are giving us 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code PFF. Back to some questions from at SWF underscore podcast. Best rookies at 102 and 108 in a rookie draft for an RB needing team. Uh, he correctly is assuming Kenny Walker will be there at 102, wondering if he should reach for a running back or go wide receiver at 108. Yes, would assume Brees Hall, in which case, you know, goes number one. Go ahead and grab Kenny Walker, number two. At 108, Dwayne. If one of Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burke are there, I think that might be too much value to pass up. If they're all well, gone, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. If they're all gone, then I think someone you know, like a Spiller, White, you know, Pierce, whoever your cup of tea is, is reasonable at one hundred eight. Is that kind of your thought? I just think that tier one of wide receivers would be too good to go to our number three running back. Yeah, I mean, all you're really trying to do in those two out of those you know, picks, you know, out of your, you know, you're going pick one through eight and you have two picks in there. Um, you got Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, Drake London, Chris Olave, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. Like you're trying to come away with two of those. Obviously I just gave you seven names. So if you just missed there, then we'll have to see what happens with the draft. But I would say, you know, George Pickens, Sky Moore, one of those players are like, you know, we're going to, we're going to get a really good receiver end up, you know, with either the Packers or the Chiefs that, probably isn't one of the ones I've already named, right? So whether it's Jahan Dotson, whether but what it's if we get like Moore, a Spiller, Pickens, what if we get Spiller or White in a good running back situation? Yeah, you I'm, could. Yeah. No, I think Spiller or White in a good running back situation, you know, obviously, you know, um, could change things. Um, if you're in a super flex, you know, you could think about taking, you know, a quarterback, you know, I would only, the only quarterback I would take in this class, and even, even super flex, flex would be Yamalik just because the rushing upside. So, yeah, I think I think that's actually a really good spot. I think you know the the 107 is like the true cut for me, where I think you take a step down. But I really like Sky Moore. I really like George Pickens, so I feel good about those two players as well. 
Ideally, you get two of those big seven, but if not, we should have a wide receiver or running back kind of make this into a big eight, big it nine will. based on the it landing spots. Sure. Cool. From at Change College, wondering about explosive, explosive plays, basically, you know, 20 plus yard plays and touchdowns outside the red zone. Uh, he's been doing some research on Tyreek's impact in Miami. So I just pulled some of these numbers. Since uh, Patrick Mahomes has been under center for the Chiefs, 2018 and 2021, Kansas City number two in total, total explosive pass plays, number one easily. 57 passing touchdowns outside the red zone. I mean, we only have Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Pittsburgh over 40. Meanwhile, Miami actually ranking just 21st in total explosive pass plays outside the red zone 22nd in touchdowns in terms of the rate KC at 19.1% number four Miami all the way down to 24th at 14.4% so yeah Chiefs have been awesome Miami not so much and I would firmly expect Tyreek to greatly help that category I mean you guys saw the difference in Alex Smith uh, between what he was able to do early on in his career and then that legitimate like I don't want to say MVP worthy, but we had that conversation a few times in 2016. Alex Smith was playing fantastic, and I believe was PFF's highest graded passer throwing downfield. So, yeah, if Tyreek isn't going to help that to a deep ball, I am not sure what will. From And he honestly, he doesn't even have to help the deep ball to help improve the 20-plus yard plays. Like now, all of a sudden, you got to deal with Hill and Waddle, who both who we we know both have explosive playmaking ability, whether it's more rack or down the field. And really Tyreek's sweet spot is honestly what he does, you know, after you get the ball into his hand, not just, yeah, we all know the bombs where, you know, Mahomes is back there running around, running around. And he just kind of looks up and is like, oh, nobody can catch Tyreek now and he throws it. But a lot of those explosive plays really come after the catch. So I think that's where Miami has the biggest chance to take a step forward. From at Danny Football 59, one of the many tone setters out there. Always appreciate their contributions to Twitter. Just wondering how old Amari Cooper is. And just to answer that, he is forever 22 because some jokes never get old, just like Amari Cooper. From at Bolts Chief, outlook on Nico Collins in Dynasty. Could he have a top 24 season in the next two to three years? Dwayne, like, when are the Texans actually going to start to, you know, try to get good? Like, they're just, it seems like they just want to rebuild every single year at this point. I mean, the wide receivers that they have on this roster right now are absolutely sad. Now, they did bring back Brandon Cooks, paid him. Apparently, he's going nowhere because that's the one player they want to build around. I'm, no disrespect to Brandon Cooks. He's awesome. But, like, this is just hilarious to me that in two years, the one guy that they've been like, okay, we cannot... We cannot possibly go forward as a franchise unless we lock down Brandon Cooks for the foreseeable future. I mean, this wide receiver room, Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, Chris Moore, Philip Dorsett, Chris Conley, Deshaun Hamilton, Jalen Camp, Damon Hazelton, Davion Davis. I did not make up any of those names. <laughs> Look, he's a starting wide receiver. We've said this, like, if you're going to throw a dart later in drafts, I'd, if, it might as well be someone that's, you know, in their team starting through wide receiver sets, similar sentiment, you know, Paris Campbell, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, some of these other sleepers. In terms of what we saw last year, good, not great necessarily, but flashed a little bit. I remember doing some pre-draft stuff. I actually had the pleasure of interviewing Nico, but when I was looking at potential five-tool receivers, it was like Kyle Pitts was the only one that checked every single box, but Nico Collins was pretty close. And when you look at some of these past Michigan offenses, I think him and Donovan Peoples-Jones, better recruits, you know, they have a lot of the attributes you look for, didn't necessarily have the production because of that Michigan system. So he's getting a chance, Dwayne. I don't think he has like, you know, a stranglehold on this number two job or anything, but you know, I could think of worse late round darts because again, he's a starting wide receiver that has at least some semblance of upside. Yeah, so whenever I did, you know, the study looking at the PFF wide receiver grades as rookies, um, he fell into group two, um, which had a far lower hit rate. Obviously, group one was like awesome. 
Um, but most of those guys that fell into group two that went on to hit were either a first or second round pick. And so Collins is neither is, is not, he's, he was a third round pick, but to your point, like they don't really have anyone else. Um, so I think, you know, there is an opportunity that just on, you know, volume alone, if he can take a step forward, like it's, he's going to have a chance. The third rounders that did that have, you know, gone on to hit, you know, T Y Hilton, Deontay Johnson, Kenny Galladay, you know, they've all ended up posting top 12 seasons. So there are guys um, and obviously Hilton, Deontay Johnson's games are different, right? Kenny Galladay is another bigger receiver, a little more along the lines of, of a Nico Collins. You know, they, they play differently as well, but um, there is a shot. Like he could still make it into the top 24. But if you're like saying, is it likely? Probably it, it's not likely. Like the odds are that he's not going to make it at this point based on what we've seen. So like if you can still get something for him in a trade and you're in a dynasty league, go for it. If this is more of a redraft question and we're talking, hey, are you do you mind throwing a, a dart at a receiver in round 15 of a draft, I think that's fine. Nico Collins is fine there. If you're going to throw a, throw a dart at him as your wide receiver five, wide receiver six. 66.1 PFF receiving grade as a rookie. That puts him in that pretty terrible bucket, right, Dwayne, where it's like, unless you're no, man, you got you to turn the no playoff, Ian. But yeah, it's a 65. I got it off. We're good. No, no, you you. Got, no, you got to turn it on. Sorry. You got to turn it on for the, the, the PFF grade. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm messing with you. Saying. Yes, you're right. It's in the right bucket. You're in the right bucket. I was just giving you a hard time. Still doesn't matter. He's in the same bucket we just talked about. <laughs> Not great. From at roster proffer, do you have a draft strategy in mind for best ball post NFL draft without knowing rookie landing spots? Yeah, check out our best ball streams. We've had uh, two of them, I think, go up. We'll get back to doing those uh, after the draft this week. But Dwayne, I think your research, and you had an article about this, really is the most telling thing we found. We spoke a little bit earlier this podcast about preferring so far just the way ADP is set up to get, you know, at least two wide receivers in the first three or four rounds, not looking like the year that we're going to take an early tight end. But what's really interesting is all the available resources really in rounds seven through 10. And as you laid it out, you can really do any strategy you want in the top six rounds. Just go get almost the best player you have there. And then there's enough value in these rounds seven through 10 to complete your roster and put you in a good spot going into rounds 11 and beyond. Yeah. That, that's absolutely it. And I would say, you know, just go back and read the article, the reverse engineering article that I threw out there. Uh, also had an article about players to buy now versus after the draft versus ones that you probably want even exposure on. And then once we have the draft, um, we'll update those and then you won't have to look at those anymore. Truly. I mean, this is some of, you know, I think some of your best work of this offseason, Dwayne, just making it. And I want to replicate this for when people are actually doing, you know, our, our more important, you know, home drafts ahead of August, but just really showing you guys and giving buckets of like, Hey, if you, if you exit these first seven rounds with this type of player group, here are the targets you can be looking at in future rounds. So if you've enjoyed that, get ready for freaking more because we want all of you to win each and every league you're in come September. From at if you follow Matt, who's the must grab and who's the must fade from this rookie wide receiver class? I do wonder, Dwayne, if we're looking because you talked about it. if George Pickens or Sky Moore, if a legit high end receiver goes to Green Bay or Kansas City, I'm fine bumping them up. But what if we get a Christian Watson type, someone that really is outside of a lot of people's top eight, even like top 10 wide receivers? Because like we always think we know this better than we actually do. Like last year, we had Tutu yeah. Atwell, Dwayne Eskridge, a lot of guys, I think, going higher than expected. And remember, 
The Packers drafted a day two wide receiver last year, and they had a pretty depleted wide receiver room, and he didn't do anything, Amari Rodgers. So I'm not saying every single wide receiver that comes in is going to be as little use as Amari. I understand he you know, had his own problems when he did get brief chances earlier in the season to try to make his name. But I would say you know, be careful about really shooting someone up the draft boards. That would be maybe, again, Christian Watson the Green Bay. That'd probably be a situation where I'm fading. And maybe even KC, man, MBS and Juju and Mecole, just because they draft the first or even second round wide receiver doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be starting come week one. Um, and then in terms of who's the must grab, again, if we get better news on Jameson Williams, man, he might just have that sort of top 10 draft capital. I think if, if he gets top 10, Dwayne, like we're going to be bringing up the same stats we used last year to talk about why Jalen Waddle was a much was a must grab at ADP. So right now, I think Jameson Williams could be that guy in the wide receiver four range that ends up being a wide receiver two, uh, and then just be really careful careful who ends up with Casey and Green Bay. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, again, this is another one, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but you know, <laughs> there's an article out there um, that's got expected draft position um, along with everything about the player. So it's using, you know, the model is based on, we're not supposed to say model on the show, Ian, I need to chug <laughs> a beer or something, but it's based on rookie age, expected draft position, college production. And then, and we say, you know, for the, for the receivers, we say, screw the combine. We don't care about the combine for receivers. Like we totally just kick it to the curb. Anybody tells you that the combine is a must thing for receivers, they're just lying to you. So forget about it. Um, but I did pull in things that actually matter. Can a player be explosive on the field? So so career explosive target rate, also best yards per route run season. It's got some historical stuff that a lot of the dynasty community loves. Um, Jetpack Galileo will get all over the dominator thing. So over the last three years, I think it has a negative correlation. But over time, overall, you know, the dominator rating does have a positive X, you know, has a positive correlation, you know, to future success. So draft capital, college production, you know, age adjusted college production, and then, you know, some of these explosive metrics, and they all go together to really give you the way it should look. But basically, those first two tiers, Ian, I think are kind of all the guys like that. And really, John Mechie needs to move up because his expected draft capital is like now into the 60s. So this was as of last week. So I was just looking at it this morning. And yeah, he's creeping up. Um, Doug Kite knew what he was talking about, man. Like this, it's climbing. Like, yeah, well I think he was, the first, he was the first guy on that. Um, Dwayne, so, Dwayne, I think here's a good way of this question. Out of your, here are your tier two wide receivers. Sky Moore, George Pickens, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, Wandale, uh, Wandale Robinson, David Bell. And if you want to put John Mechie there, that's fine. Tier three, we have Justin Ross, Khalil Shakir, and Jalen Tolbert. Out of them, I feel like maybe more Pickens, potentially Dotson. If they go to Green Bay or Kansas City, we might be willing to bump them up to tier one and get behind them. After them, I don't know. Yeah, the, the only way they would bump up, like at this point, is I mean, they've got to be. Um, yeah, and the, so that's a cool thing that we're doing this week. So for the folks, you can kind of get ready for it. Like for each of these players as they get drafted, we'll be doing a tracker, and there's going to be two components to it. There's going to be one, like the profile of the player based on all these things we just talked about, and then there's landing spots. So everybody's going to have a landing spot grade, essentially. And so to Ian's point, you land in a spot like Green Bay where there's literally it's wide open. Like we already talked about some of the issues with Alan Lazard, et cetera, et cetera. And if you were to go into the first round, like the model's going to bump you up in the first, if you go in the first round, that's going to be one. Number two, the landing spot. If you land in Green Bay, you know, it's wide open depth chart and you have a quality quarterback. So not only do you have a quantity potentially of opportunity if you can earn it, but also quality of opportunity. So I don't know, man. I think like Wandell Robinson, yeah, I probably wouldn't put there. 
But like even David Bell, like David Bell, the only thing holding David Bell down, like to tell you like how good he is, um, you know, he's sitting here like if he if he hadn't done all he had done from a production standpoint in college, like he should easily be down in tier three. But he was so good in college. And you can see all that sweet blue right in the middle of the chart on mm -hmm. David Bell for career dominator, best dominator is 30 percent breakout age, all those things. Those are the things holding him in tier two. So if all of a sudden David Bell, for example, did go in the early second or when he's not going to go in the first round, but if the Packers say trade it up to get him somewhere in the second round, like David Bell's like going to shoot up, you know, as far as, you know, where we're going to have him in these ranks. Like he's the guy that could move up the most, honestly, because he shouldn't even still be sitting here. He's just sitting there because he was so good in all these other metrics. But Wandell Robinson's the one that I'm the most concerned about. It's still sitting in that tier. And it's really because he's really been more of a gadget player. Got five more questions to run through, none of which are too big. From at T Lenny for Browns, favorite fantasy player on the Browns this year. Dwayne, I think they're all a little bit overvalued, unfortunately. I mean, okay, we can throw a dart at Donald Peoples-Jones, but I think the... the Kareem Watts, Hunt, man. It's Kareem Hunt. Uh, round, you get Kareem Hunt in yeah, round eight. That's true. That's true. Like, it's, it's explosive playmaker with receiving ability. Like, if you can check those two boxes, because the, the season's crazy. Chubb gets hurt. Like, he gets an increase in values. Dearness Johnson's still going to be in the way, yeah. But I think at that point, you're... I, I think he's easily going to pay off even if Chubb's healthy all year, Dearness Johnson's healthy all year, Kareem Hunt's going to pay off at his ADP right now. The only path is really for Kareem Hunt to move up based on those other things. Obviously, he could get injured, right? And that would hurt him. But I think he's the guy for the Browns for me. I just, I hate with Kareem Hunt a little bit. Like, we don't have that best case scenario anymore where Chubb gets hurt and Hunt just steps into like this 80% plus workhorse role. I do think that Dearness would be in there, probably making it closer to... 60 40 but based on that value i do think it would have to be kareem hunt also shout out david Najoku. he's firmly in that late round tight end conversation let's make sure he doesn't creep up too high he's not someone i want to be looking at as a top 12 13 tight end we usually draw the line zach Ertz is still going like tight end 12 13 but we can usually get him or gronk or one of these guys later so i don't want to start with Najoku, but i think in best ball particularly if he can be your second tight end uh, you're doing something okay from at Mike underscores B, DJ Moore or Michael Pittman in Dynasty? Uh, I would go with Pittman this year, but Dynasty land, I got to go with DJ Moore. You agree? You agree, Dwayne? Yeah. Yeah. I still think DJ Moore is the most, the more talented player. They're close in age. Um, and I've got him really close even this year, but I'm, I'm fine giving the edge, you know, to the guy that's got a little bit better situation in Pittman with Matt Ryan at quarterback. From at Big E underscore Houston, not a question, just take. Davis Mills going to have a great sophomore leap next season. You heard it here first from at Big E underscore Houston, everyone. I love it. Let's go. Uh, Dwayne Davis Mills, he's going to be the starter. Threw for 300 yards a few times. It's just, you know, he could be, I guess, what, your third best ball quarterback? Like, we're, we don't have a ceiling here, do we? I don't think we do. But, I mean, look, he's still – where I've got Davis Mills ranked in my ranks, it's basically at least there's the allure of the unknown <laughs> versus a lot of the guys you'll see below him. It's like, yeah, these guys suck. We know what they are. <laughs> With Davis Mills, like, there's still a chance. Like, he could surprise us because we won't – we only have this little small sample with him. So it's like I'd rather buy into the unknown, right, than a player that we may know more about, but we just know there's no ceiling. Final two questions. Ooh, USFL additions from at Timbo Slice 003 asking about the PFF grades to a CSV. 
basically, we don't we aren't giving away the USFL data specifically for subscribers, but I am giving you guys basically everything you need in my review article that's live on PFF.com right now and will be every Monday after the game. So check those out and should be uh, easy enough to get most of the stats from the games, the routes and all that. Now for the team grades, I will publish those on Thursday in my preview article, which you also should be able to easy enough copy and paste. Not really a clean way uh, to get the um, CSV, unfortunately, for like the NFL team grades, but we have ways of doing it kind of behind the scenes with Ultimate. So at TimboSlice003, if you have like something specific you're looking for, just uh, DM me on Twitter at iHeartIt, as you know, and uh, I can probably hook you up with whatever you're looking for. And finally, from at SportsNuts420, great name. How did the experts get it so wrong with the undefeated Birmingham Stallions? My number eight ranked power, uh, my number eight team, my power rankings before the season, now all of a sudden looking like number two after two weeks. Alex Magoo getting hurt has led to Jamar Smith going in and basically working as the player of the week in two straight games. Right now, I think the only team executing better level overall is the New Orleans Breakers. So yeah, I didn't think Skip Holtz was going to do much. He hadn't been a good coach in a minute. And Alex Magoo was looking like one of the worst quarterbacks. All the credit in the world to Jamar uh, Davis, Jamar Smith, excuse me, for stepping up, making big things happen out there. So yeah, starting quarterback got hurt and the backup winds up being better. As we said in the preseason, though, big thing about USFL is to be quick to change our opinions because Dwayne, what the hell is the point of learning new information if we aren't going to try to be a little smarter with it? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just go with what you just said. <laughs> I think you know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. That's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the Q&A formats. And again, we'll be back with much more of that throughout the offseason. We'll also get this hooked up with YouTube uh, to get you guys' like live comments in that as well. Fun little schedule this week. You know, had the USFL pod and this go out today. Tomorrow, Dwayne and I will be back previewing our top five rookie rankings before the draft. Wednesday, we're going to quickly knock out our USFL week two preview. And then after the draft, Thursday, after the draft, Friday, we'll be going live, live, live to talk about everything that just happened. Back here again next Monday to really break down the whole draft. So, Dwayne, we got a shit ton of stuff going on over the next week. And then, like, football is back to being dead again. We will not be, but, you know. Whatever. Great week to be great. <laughs> great week to be great. No, I'm 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 looking forward to it. Like, and we'll have some stuff set up so like as the draft's going and happening. Obviously, we'll be putting out content, but then coming on right after each night, I think it's gonna be awesome because we'll have um, like all the models and things that we've been sharing with you. My goal is to have them all ready in where boom, we just put the draft pick in and we update. Like it's ready to rock. Like we can talk about what just happened. So yeah, I'm excited. At Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter. The man's, the man's awesome. Why not? Why are you not following him? You should be. It's just dumb if you're not. So, for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.